It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. Australia is embarking on a tour of Sri Lanka as we speak and we've got a man on the ground who's covering that. My name is Josh Shonafinger, and I'm joined by Louis Cameron, as always, live from Colombo. Welcome, Lou. Yeah, I'm not quite on the ground, Josh. I'm about uh, six, six or seven stories up in uh, in the hotel in Colombo. But um, yeah, just serving some uh, some isolation period, as as is the way of the world at the moment, so that we can um, we can speak to some of the Aussie players uh, before the uh, T20s kick off here in um, here in Colombo. Well, yeah, it's a five-week tour. Um, there are three T20s and five ODIs, followed by two test matches. Um, Lou, your chat with Jai Richardson, part of the T20 squad, is coming up just after our series preview. Um, but, Lou, you're there in Sri Lanka with the team. Why don't you talk us through your introduction to the country because there's a fair bit going on in Sri Lanka at the minute. Yeah, there, there is a little bit, and we kind of heard quite a lot about, you know, what's going on over here. Uh, you know, it seems I've obviously landed and then went straight to the hotel, so I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert just yet. Um, you know, you, you see the, the lines for, for fuel and, um, and things like that, so the, the country is obviously going through some tough times, but uh, the, the feeling seems to be that uh, it's a good thing that the, the Australian cricket team is touring for, for such a long time, that there's an A um, there's an A series as well, an, an A component of it, as well. So that seems to be well received. In terms of flying over, I mean, it's it was a bit of a mixed, um, mixed kind of group, uh, mixed groups all coming into to Colombo for this tour. You've um, on my flight from Melbourne, probably had I think we had the bulk of the support staff. Obviously, without Andrew McDonald, uh, we might touch on that in a bit. Um, yeah, probably probably a dozen players uh, and. And then quite a few of them had, had already come in from Perth. And then I think there's a couple of others who might arrive tonight. We're speaking Friday morning, my time. They arrive in the evening. Uh, some of the guys who made the IPL finals, like Dave Warner, Glenn Maxwell, um, Matthew Wade, obviously, who, who made the, the big the big IPL final and, and won it. So um, he'll be on a high. And, uh, yeah, I think the whole, the whole group should be together by tonight and then... Um, once there's kind of a you know a, a, th- a three-day bridging process, um, it's not quite a, a strict as bubble as it I, I guess it used to be um, in you know really strict COVID times. But um, the whole squad will kind of be up and training together within um, the next 48, 72 hours. So that bridging process you talk about is that sort of like a mini quarantine period that it's required to go through? Yeah, that's right. That's right, and it's it's probably not quite as as onerous as it, as it was, for example, when we went to um, West Indies and Bangladesh last year, um, where you know the not the fear of getting COVID, but the the knowledge that getting COVID would um, you know might derail uh, part of whoever got its tour. I suppose that they'd have to stay back in whatever location and and um, 
and I guess there's there's not that that exact same worry as it as it used to be, um, albeit with you know some um, some reasonable concerns. Like you, you look at um, Ashton Agar on that last Pakistan tour, and, and he caught it right at the end when he would have been expecting to play in the the limited overs games, right? And then he he got it, and he'd been there for all the, all the tests, and then it didn't get to play any any cricket at all. So. Um, if you're a player, you, you definitely don't want to get it and, you, and you're probably being super cautious. And while we already have had one casualty um, on the sickness side of things, Coach Andrew McDonald, as you said, didn't fly out with the team because he fell ill. Was it COVID or was it just a sort of a regular flu? No, I, I believe it was COVID. Um, and, yeah, really, really tough for a guy who uh, won out to, to win the job as Justin Langer's successor um, and on his first tour as, uh, not first tour as head coach, but first tour as, um, as the permanent, you know, replacement for Langer um, has been derailed. I, I suppose the, um, the silver lining of it is, uh, you know, not that he would necessarily see it this way, but um, in the T20s are first, the ODI is second and then the tests are at the end. I, I'm sure there's, there'd probably be... Um, you know, some more anxiety around if, if he was going to miss, you know, a whole test match. Um, what, you know, what are you kind of losing? What are you losing there? It would, um, they'd be more disappointed. But, um, you know, I think it, it should work out OK. Michael DiVenuto, the, the assistant under him, is, is pretty experienced. He's, you know, coached Surrey before. And um, so I think, uh, and, and I think, you know, part of the, part of McDonald's hiring in the first place, right, was about, you know, giving a bit more control back to players. We, we heard Pat Cummins talk a little bit about that when, um, the the kind of messy saga with Justin Langer finished up. You know, I think the players have taken more um, responsibility on themselves, and you know, maybe that that'll be tested with a with a slightly smaller support staff for the for the start of this tour. And just while we're talking about the support staff as well, there have been a couple of new additions to that team as well. Um, we reported on cricket.com.au probably a week or so ago that uh, New Zealand legend Daniel Vittori and Victorian Andre Borovic will join as assistant coaches. Um, Luke, can you give us a bit of info about Borovic? Because a lot of cricket fans probably haven't heard of him before. Yeah, there's probably a lot of people going to his uh, Crick Info page and, and trying to find it. <laughs> I was actually there the other day just looking up something and um, noticed that it didn't have a whole lot of information. Um, he is a former wicketkeeper, first grade wicketkeeper for Geelong. And McDonald actually played under him when Borovic took over as coach down in at Geelong. And, um, yeah, so I think he might have played a couple of second 11 games for Victoria, but he kind of never... He was just a, a really good grade wicketkeeper. And um, he took over as coach when McDonald was still playing a little bit of Premier cricket uh, when he was in the back end of his career, playing for the Sydney Thunder still. And I remember speaking to, to McDonald about it, and he said this, you know, in, the, in a really unlikely place he kind of found he was thinking about how he could be a better coach just off the back of what Borovic was doing like he was um he just loved his his approach to the game and, and how he thought about it so you know no doubt that was a factor in um McDonald now compiling um a support staff that you know he he trusts and that he wants at Australian level um that you know that that relationship that has been built up through uh, McDonald then took over as Victorian coach a couple of years later. Borovic was an assistant there with him. Uh, he worked under him at the Melbourne Renegades as well. So uh, he, he's really interesting. The, the other one is Dan Vittoria, who you know probably doesn't really need as much of an introduction. Captain New Zealand, you know, a tactical, um, you know, a really interesting tactical thinker about cricket. So. Um, yeah, slightly different feel off the field, I suppose. And certainly New Zealand's most prolific spin bowler 
of all time. So the Aussie spinners will be looking forward to working um, with him, no doubt. Um, let's look ahead to the T20s. They start on June 7, uh, which is just a couple of days from now. What are we sort of expecting from this three-match series? Australia are pretty much at full strength. They're just missing Adam Zampa and Pat Cummins. Um, but uh, Sri Lanka also uh, pretty much at full strength as well. So what are you you're sort of expecting from these three matches? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, you're right. It probably is about as full strength as you get for a bilateral T20 mm. series these days. Um, you know, that is it. That you know, it's not a World Cup. It, you know, it is a it is a World Cup year, so that probably has a little bit to do with it. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the, the combinations um, Australia kind of puts forward. Aaron Finch's form. You know, we know it's no secret he's been been struggling a little bit with the bat. Um, whether he can kind of break that slump is will be a, a big storyline for for this team. You know, one of the one of the per- people we're talking about the most is a guy outside of the team altogether, in Tim David. Um, I, I believe the door's not really shut on him playing at the World Cup and, and playing, okay. um, you know, playing uh, T20 cricket for Australia significantly. You know, that's that's probably no secret. I mean, he's he's done so well in um, domestic leagues around the world and I think this team is open to someone taking a slightly different route into international cricket. Um, that that kind of tends to happen, right? When you're the world champions, people want to know, you know, they're, they're really fine-tuning or they're really putting the microscope on every spot in the team and... Um, Definitely. And things like that. So, yeah, that's that's but, kind of an interesting one. Yeah, just it, I was just going to say in terms of the, the finishes, whether um, oh, I could talk about this for hours, Josh, you know this. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like in terms of the finishes, Australia unearthed at the World Cup in Wade and, and Stoinis, mm. you know, whether they continue in, in those roles um, and, and continue to thrive in those roles will is another interesting plot. Yeah, well, it's a good point, and I was just going to say that you know the next World Cup is only four months away, and there's still a chance that a player who hasn't played for his country yet could slot into the world champion team. I mean, it's a pretty unique situation, you would think, isn't it? And maybe he's the long-term um, successor for Matthew Wade, who has also said during the week that uh, this will probably be his last uh, tournament for Australia. So if he doesn't come in now, it's looking likely that in the near future, we'll see a bit of Tim David in green and gold. Yeah, and they do have some more T20s before that World Cup, so um, he, he might have a chance there. Um, interesting one to remember that Josh Inglis, who has, uh, since the World Cup, looked really good in, in international T20 cricket for Australia, he was brought into that World Cup squad as kind of the backup keeper and a capable and a, and a backup batter. Uh, having no international cricket experience at all. And, and you might actually argue that Tim David has had a lot more high-quality international, in, in inverted commas, uh, T20 experience than, than Inglis did when they brought him in out of the blue, seemingly. so. It, and that's true. I mean, Inglis came into that, that five-match uh, series against Sri Lanka in Australia at the end of last summer and performed really well in the middle order, actually, didn't he? Exactly, yeah, and I think uh, you know a, a natural successor for Matthew Wade um, when he does, uh, you know, as he's kind of said, hang up the gloves potentially after the the T Twenty World Cup later this year, um, and even you know still still an option at the World Cup as a batter in his own right. So it's interesting now, like we were about twelve months ago, we were um, talking about the lack of depth in Australian T <laughs> Twenty cricket, and you know things. Not everything gets fixed by one World Cup win where. Um, you know, some things went their way in terms of tosses won and, and things like that over there. Not, you know, not saying um, they were lucky to win it at all, but, um, 
yeah, we, we've got to be mindful that all, some of those issues might, you know, might still be there. And, and just because you know the, all these guys had had, you know, won won a World Cup doesn't mean all the, you know, everything is is solved overnight. So interesting to see how it plays out in the coming weeks. Yeah, it certainly will be. Um, I might ask you a question without notice, um, and get you to maybe give us a, an eleven for the first T uh, Twenty. If you could. Uh, Maybe jot down to 1 to 11 because obviously Cummins and Zampa will be missing from that world champion team. But we've got Ashton Agar and Mitchell Swepson to come in as spinners potentially. And maybe they need two in Sri Lanka. Uh, but we've also got uh, some backup quicks. Sean Abbott, Jai Richardson, Kane Richardson are also in the squad. So how do you reckon they'll line up for the first T20, mate? Yeah, so it's an interesting one. Pretty, as he, we kind of talked about, pretty much full strength. Uh, obviously, Finch and Warner back opening the batting is an obvious one. No Ben McDermott on this uh, tour, which is you know, really unlucky for him as a bit of a, a side note, given he's you know, really um, looked look good in the last few months in, in white ball cricket. Um, but he's not going to keep Warner out of the team. Uh, Mitch Marsh at three um, is another obvious one, given his World Cup form. The fourth spot's an interesting one. There's been a lot of talk about Steve Smith's spot in this T20 side. I think they still really see a future for him, um, you know, at least in the short term to the World Cup, of him being the, uh, I guess, the anchor, the uh, a guy who might not necessarily be a massive hitter um, who can kind of hold things together at number four. But So I would expect him to start if, if they're playing a full-strength team. But, you know, Inglis is, as an omission in this, in this side is... is Breathing down his neck, yeah, put it that way. Um, Maxwell at five, Stoyner six, Wade seven, I, I think is the obvious um, lower order, middle order kind of combination there. With no Zampa, it kind of, um, it, it, it's an interesting one because they only played one special spinner during that World Cup when we all thought they had to play Agar and Zampa in the same team, either as part of a five bowler combination or just four. So. You're losing. You're not only losing your best spinner, but you kind of you're losing your best bowler just about. So for this tour, so I think playing in Sri Lanka, they probably do go with two spinners. So Swepson's the the one who probably comes in uh, as a replacement for Zampa, and then Agar plays as well and, and bats eight uh, as a really deep kind of batting order, and then Stark and Hazelwood, um, you know, pick themselves. Uh, you know, if Cummins was here, I think they'd probably just go with the three quicks and, and leave out Agar or, or Swepson. But um, it, it's probably a case for these guys of of picking their best four bowlers as opposed to necessarily picking three spinners and three quicks and one spinner or or two spinners. So that, that's what I think they'd go with if they're at full strength. But there's no doubt they'll, they'll rotate things around a little bit and make sure, that, you know, a guy like Kane Richardson, for example, who I haven't picked in that full strength team there, he will, you know, would almost certainly play given he's only here for the T20s. Yeah, and we saw Marcus Stoinis bowl a bit at the IPL, uh, so that's good news. And do we know if Mitchell Marsh is right to go? Or is that still a wait and see with his bowling? That's a really good question, Josh, because, yeah, I mean, the, the bit I was going to say was Marsh and Stoinis are going to have to probably bowl a lot more seam overs with only two quicks in that team. Uh, we didn't see either of them. We didn't see Marsh, sorry, uh, bowl heaps of overs during the World Cup. I don't know uh, where he's at with his bowling. He, he was bowling at the IPL, I believe. Um, we'll have to keep a close eye on him at training later today. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the reminder, mate. Certainly. Um, and well, let's speaking of quicks, uh, Sri Lanka have some really exciting quicks too. Uh, we saw Nuran Thushara debut in Australia with a bit of a sling action, and then 
During the IPL, we saw Mathisha Pasarana with an even greater sling action. Um, if you haven't seen the video of him, we'll leave a video to him in the episode notes and also the article on cricket.com.au. But it's quite, it is quite something that you have to see to believe this action, isn't it? Yeah, Pasarana his action is, I think I saw, it might have been Dan Vittori said that it's an even more extreme version of Malinga, which is the perfect description of it because it, it, I, I can't even begin to describe where he's, I mean, he runs in quite fluidly and normally and then all of a sudden arms and, and legs just go everywhere and, and the ball's coming from seemingly below his waist. The, the first ball he bowled in the IPL, it hit Shubman Gill on the, on the ankle and just he just had no idea. This is a, an accomplished international cricketer and just had no idea what was going on. So it'd be great if they could wheel out both of uh, Thushara and Patharana in this series in the, in the same team at one point. Uh, I noted that Lasith Malinga's on board as a bowling strategy coach. Um, and, you know, wh- what a perfect person to, to mentor those guys. So, yeah, from a bowling point of view, they're the, they're the two I think we're, we're looking forward to seeing. Hasaranga and, and Tikshana. Um, both really in-demand IPL spinners will, will also be a real handful on, on spinning wickets here, I reckon. Yeah, those two both did have magnificent IPLs, so it's going to be interesting to see how they do against Australia. Lou, without any further ado, we must jump into this chat that you had with Jai Richardson a little earlier. I'll let you do the introductions and we'll head on over there. Thanks, Josh. Here's Jai Richardson. I'm here on the Unplayable podcast with Jai Richardson, the Western Australian fast bowler who was touched down in Sri Lanka as part of Australia's squad to play three T20s, the first two in Colombo and the last one in Candy. Jai, how's it, how's it been in Sri Lanka so far? I know you've only been here for um, 24 hours or so. You probably haven't left your hotel room much with um, some of the restrictions and stuff that you're still abiding by. But, um, yeah, what's the feel so far? Yeah, I mean, it's great. Um, hotel's amazing. The staff have been really good, really accommodating. Um, flight over was pretty seamless. So, I mean, that's all you can ask for on an international trip. Um, and something that sounds as silly as good Wi-Fi, um, I tell you what, it's bloody important for me with gaming. So, to know that I've gotten here and the Wi-Fi is good is very, very relieving. I know that you're a big gamer and I noticed that you've actually bought a stake in a gaming company. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, Ground Zero, which is the shirt I'm wearing now, um, I, I've always had a good interest in gaming um, and funny enough, through a few people, um, actually met the owner of Ground Zero who's Perth-based, um, Bo Melia. He runs a Rocket League team and a few other teams as well and Rocket League is one of the games that I'm really interested in. So just sort of got chatting to him, built a really good relationship. He's one of my best mates now, so... Um, decided that it was going to be good to buy into the company. Um, something different outside of cricket, something to, I guess, keep an eye on other than cricket, keep me busy, learn more about business, see how things work. Um, and so far, it's been a really good experience, really positive. And what do these guys do, Ground Zero? Do they kind of run for, for someone, for you know, for a duffer like me, um, who's probably just, I'm, I'm about five, five years older than you, I reckon, Jai, and, and so a lot of this stuff is over my head. If you're explaining it to, to a duffer, then, um, yeah, what, what are we kind of talking about? Yeah, so, so Ground Zero um, do a little bit more than just gaming Um, obviously we have a few gaming teams um, that play professionally Um, but we do a lot of things like um, shopping center activations um, sort of fan engagement stuff like we'll have 
just not too long ago, um, we had an activation um, in Perth where we had a ton of kids on school holidays. So we'll set up a, a station on school holidays and, you know, get people through and sort of educate them about gaming and what it means. Cause I, I know a lot of parents nowadays um, aren't too keen on their kids sort of sitting behind a computer screen, but these days and the ways that it's heading, um, it can be a, a genuine career path. So I, and, and my, you know, involvement as well, I guess is more to try and bridge the gap between sports and esports. Um, there's a lot of similarities, you know, the esports scene is very young. So they've got a lot of, a lot to learn about, business and professionalism. So I guess my role is to sort of bridge that gap um, and sort of give a, an education piece where it's needed to, you know, help our players. And you touched on it there. There's that kind of old school view, right, that, you know, playing video games and spending time outside are like two distinct things that can't coexist, but you're kind of living proof that, that they can, right? Absolutely. I, I see gaming as a really good um, escape from you know, the, the stresses of cricket traveling, it's an amazing thing to have while traveling, but it's still a brain stimulation thing. Like I'm super competitive. So to be able to be competitive, you know, I guess in a casual sense rather than a professional sense is really good for me. Um, doesn't work for everyone. Not everyone really gets into gaming, but for me, I mean, it's, it's a great thing, um, especially while I'm away. Who are the big gamers in the Aussie squad and what are the games that you're, that you're kind of playing while on tour? Um, there's not a there's not a uh, there's a few gamers that bring their playstations and stuff along. I, I'm sort of a little bit on another level. I've got my my laptop and my monitors and all the light up everything, and I've streamed a couple of times as well when I've been away. Um, Starkey brings this thing everywhere. Mitch Marsh is getting into it. He's a new gamer. He's only been introduced probably in the last twelve months or so. Um, Pause the game with Starkey actually to to jump on this call. So you have to get him at some point and ask him. Um, who the best is at, at what they play. But Call of Duty is a big one between the boys, something just easy, arcadey, shooty game. Um, Rocket League is a big one for me, obviously being involved with Ground Zero and, and the pros there. Um, and then everything in between, really, something, anything that fills time. Right, okay. That's uh, it's a pretty interesting area. This is a cricket podcast, Jai, so I might um, steer the conversation slightly in, in that direction, <laughs> um, although I'm, I'm really interested in it. Um, I reckon the last time most people, most people listening to this podcast would have seen you in action was that home T20 series against Sri Lanka, um, and then I guess before that, the, um, the Ashes. Uh, maybe before we kind of touch on last summer, what have you, what have you been up to since, um, since the end of the summer? Oh, to be honest, um, the whole off-season, I guess, for me has been rehab. Um, haven't really, really stopped, albeit um, being at home. It's been full of rehab, full of trying to get back for this series. Obviously, doing my hamstring in the one-day cup final for WA wasn't ideal. Um, but I guess it just put into perspective um, all the little niggles along the way, which I'm sure you were going to touch on. Um you know, starting off in a very important period in pre-season, building up to the season, um, inconspicuously rolled my ankle. Just one of those things that happens, had a few weeks out there, got back from that, had a bit of an um, abdominal strain, so that set me back another couple of weeks. Um, it was just a, a, a mixture of little things that kept adding up that probably just burst at the end um, after a big summer. You know, it got to a point where... We know people talk about workloads and stuff like that and, and the general public sort of getting an understanding of what we try and do there, but it got to a point where I just never had a really good block to sort of 
get conditioned. Um, and obviously playing a test match, it sort of got to a point where I was trying to condition with game time. And it's never really an ideal situation when you're trying to do that at um, maximum intensity. So I guess just it, everything just sort of broke and that was the whole idea. Um, especially with the Pakistan series to try and increase my longevity. So when you look at, look back at it, um, probably closer to breaking down than what I originally thought. So, and and in the end it happened. So you're kind of saying that when you went into that Adelaide test match off the back of some, um, some really strong, you know, dominant shield form, I'd, I'd say you're kind of saying that you, you still weren't quite a hundred percent. I would, I felt a hundred percent. I definitely felt 100%. Um, it wasn't until after the season that I could actually sit down with medical staff and go through sort of what happened in the lead-up. Um, like, I, I was still bowling well. I still felt really good. But it was probably the few months before that that were the really important ones where I didn't quite get that month or two to really build up to, to be in good stead for the whole summer. Early on, felt really good. The Shield games, the test felt really, really good. But it was probably just that conditioning that I missed to get me through the back end. Um, but in terms of the test, yeah, no, I was fine. I felt good, um, just probably didn't realise it at the time. He's hurt himself, too. Oh, a little bit of a twinge in the hamstring. It's the last thing we want to see, too, Joe yeah. Richardson. He's had a horrible run with injuries with his shoulder. He's just starting to get back to some really really attractive form we've seen that in the pink board test how dangerous he was in that second inning swinging that ball and so when you're kind of thinking of I guess lessons learned out of some of these injuries you've had a lot of injuries in a in a short space of time Jai I know but um, I guess out of this later summer um, is it just a case of of that of of making sure you you get a bigger workload of of shield games um, early in the season Is, is that is that the main one 100% I think this a really good learning for me over the last um two to three months being home is that although it is frustrating not getting any time off and, and we like time off, that's good, it's important, but knowing that I've had a really good stint of bowling outdoors, we've been really lucky in Perth with the weather to bowl on turf, so that's been a really good prep. I've had a good solid two months of, of building up a lot of conditioning, um, a lot of bowling and making sure that I'm ready. So I'm hoping that having had that and not getting that last season that I can get through um, a really big summer because it is quite a big summer coming up. One hundred percent, it was, and I imagine you kind of speaking of the the frustration there, seeing WA win a, a shield title. I know you were there um, right at the end. How um, how I guess on the one hand, how frustrating was it, and but also you know how pleased were you for your, for your teammates? Yeah, I mean it was a little bit frustrating. Not, well, I guess frustrated is the wrong word. Um, it was disappointing to not play in the final, but. I guess I take confidence in knowing that I had a good um, contribution earlier on um, in the season. So it was less than ideal at the end, but knowing that I still played well and still helped the team get there early on in the season, um, yeah, I mean, disappointing not to play, but I mean... Never going to complain with a shield win. I want to go back to that test match in Adelaide because there was there was a lot kind of going on in a in a short space of time. Jai, I mean, even just the the lead into it where Pat uh, dined at the wrong uh, dined at the wrong hotel and all of a sudden you, you know you had two you, you weren't new but still relatively fresh into test cricket. But and you also had Michael Nisa there. Um, yeah, what what was that what was that lead in like? What was the um, the build up like to to something you would have really been looking forward to? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it was interesting. I mean, it just goes to show like how 
timing can just pop up out of nowhere. Bad timing can just come out of nowhere. Um, it was great to play. It was great to get back to, to test cricket. Um, I guess being specific on the game, I, I know first innings, it was probably a bit of a shock to the system. I, I didn't bowl as well as I would have liked. Um, coming off some good performances in shield cricket, it's, it's all well and good, but it's still another massive step up to test cricket. So I probably got um, a little bit ahead of myself in, in the first innings and was just got frustrated very easily because I had high expectations of myself. And then all it took was a couple of conversations to just say, just go to chill, do what you do best. And then to come back second innings and have an impact like that and take five for something I'm never going to forget, albeit Goss Butler giving me a little bit of luck there, stepping on the stumps. But I mean, yeah, test cricket, it was, it was my goal to get back there. Um, and I achieved it. So although I didn't play as much cricket as, as I would have liked, I think overall, um, Still a really successful summer. I know you said you weren't that happy with the first innings, but um, I remember watching that first over you bowled back. Just the, the over to Hamid, I'm not sure how clearly you um, remember it, but you beat the bat like three or four times in that over. Did, did you feel like things were going okay at that point? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, leading into that game, I felt like I was bowling really well. Um, and with a pink ball, pink ball always gives you a fair bit of confidence as well, knowing that it's going to do a little bit. Um, especially early. So, and bowling with a new ball as well is something that I hadn't really done in Test match cricket as well. Um, so that was new. I think it was just overwhelming um, to get back out there. And it's a bit of a blur that first innings. I can't even remember what I was thinking or what I was doing. So it just goes to show how easily um, being strong upstairs or mentally can be taken away from you just in, in the heat of the moment. So, yeah, I mean, as far as I'm aware, I didn't think I bowled too badly until the end when I looked back at it and was like, oh, you know, I've actually got a bit of work to do here. It's interesting as well. Um, it reminds me a little bit of something Scott Boland said during the summer where he actually said himself that I think it was the first innings of his um, first test, he, he didn't feel like he bowled particularly well either. And he, he said that the the clarity that he normally had when he's bowling for Victoria, um, it, it was almost like gone. He, he's, I think the word he used was like, it was like a fog. It's easy, it's really easy to talk about. Like it's, it's really easy to talk about and go, oh, well, this is what I've got to do, especially leading into a game. It's like, well, this is what I've got to do. I've got to keep clear. I've got to keep my head clear. I've got to be 100% on what I want to bowl when I want to bowl it. It's way easier said than done, right? You get out there and you're in front of thousands of people and you've got a batsman that you're trying to figure out and you've got all these plans and it's not quite working. It's It can be taken away from you so quickly and you can get carried away with trying way too hard. Um, but that's the beauty of test cricket. It's hard. It's it's very difficult. And is that the the big part? I mean, for Scott, I felt like it, he he was saying it was the it was the crowd. Like, is, is that the biggest difference? Oh, uh, I think so. I think the more you play with the crowd, the more you get used to it. But I think it's you can go um, from having so much adrenaline to crashing really quickly. Like when you can be on top of the world and then you can be feeling so flat that you haven't done as well as you would have liked. So it's like riding the roller coaster in test cricket and there's a reason it's called test cricket right it, just riding that roller coaster is one of the hardest things because you like a lot of the you know you're good enough to be there but a lot of the game is mental and i think that's a lot of what people don't realize is you're fighting with yourself on how you're actually going to get someone out or or you know perform well for your team so going back to that adelaide test and, and the second innings oh, oh too good 
Jai Richardson. He fights back beautifully and gets a well-deserved breakthrough. He's bowled beautifully with aggression and shape. Almost beating for pace. Mm. They've done it, the Australians. They've broken this partnership. The ball you got to get Chris Wokes out um, was one that kind of came back through the gate and might have been a bit quicker. And you said that you'd been looking up at the the pace sticker on, the, like it was saying, 131 k's an hour or whatever, and and it was it was only 130, and you weren't you weren't happy with it. Can you tell me what yeah, happened yeah. there? Yeah, I actually said to Starkey, he was at mid off or mid on or whatever, or whoever it was. I'm pretty sure it was Starkey. Like, mate, I need to get I need to get some speed through the air because I feel like I've been picked as a bowler who bowls 140. So I just started running and bowling as fast as I could. Um, and it just sort of lifted me a little bit. Um, I felt like I not going through the motions, but I just felt like I wasn't being that impact player that I would have liked to have been. And I just said to Starkey, I was like, mate, I've just got to get some ball speed. Started running in hard. I start, started trying harder. Um, and I think looking back at it, it was probably a good time um, it's a good thing to be able to pick and choose when you do that. So you've had this kind of frustrating summer, Jai, where you know you've had the the highs of the Adelaide Tests and and obviously um, making a return in the in the short forms as well. Um, the decision not to go to Pakistan, whether it's yours or the selection panels, can you kind of um, you know kind of explain you know why you why you weren't there in Pakistan? Yeah, so a lot of it um, was based on the longevity of my cricket. I think you know we look back and touched on it before about how it just got to a point where I just broke down like my hamstring went in the final. Um, and it, looking back, it was, I mean, it makes sense because I kind of did break down. Um, and there's no, there's nothing saying that that wouldn't have happened in Pakistan as well. And for this series, I suppose you, you're only, there would have been, you know, some surprises, I suppose that you, you're just in it for the, for the T20s, but, but you are staying on for the, the Australia A segment of the tour. What's kind of the, the thinking behind that? I, I mean, that's, that's what they've gone for. And I'm happy with that, to be honest. Um, you know, I love T20 cricket, love to be a part of the, the Oz T20s, but I think, for me, if I'm looking at all the positives of playing the Oz A uh, four-day stuff, I mean, it's great introduction again for me because I've had, like I said, like I keep saying, like this period that I've had of the last couple of months of building up and bowling a lot of balls, um, for me, it just looks like the next step of progressing um, with this conditioning block. And I'm really excited to, to get a part of it again and, and play some longer format cricket because I do love long format cricket. So... I mean, yeah, it's just another step to getting back from my hamstring and, and getting back to playing good, consistent cricket um, consec- and consecutive games. And I think one of the things George Bailey said when naming um, that A squad um, and, and, you know, all these different squads for this tour, that, you know, the, the door's not necessarily shut on people who, who do well in those um, those two four-day games for, for Australia A. Is, is there some hope that you, you might end up staying on for the test? Yeah, I mean, it's always there. And the only thing you can do is perform well. So the focus will be just to play well, enjoy my cricket. It's great exposure to Sri Lankan conditions. I've been here once before when I was 17, 18. So it's been a while now um, to get back and get some more exposure to these sort of conditions is nothing but a positive for me. When you see the likes of uh, Josh Hazelwood and Scott Boland both missing out in, in Pakistan, you know, they're, they're two pretty good bowlers on the outer. Do you feel like it's just as hard as ever to crack into that test side? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, you know, especially with Scott doing as well as he did. Uh, it's a great another great option. But I think, again, whilst it is hard to crack in and get a consistent spot, um, it's a wonderful problem for Australian cricket to have. 
um, you know, thinking of all, all the things that you can't control, um, selection is one of them and you can only do your best. So it's a good problem for cricket Oz to have. I mean, to have the bowling stuff that we do is fantastic. The other one I want to ask you about was uh, the fact that you can have a third coach in in the space of a few months. Obviously, Justin Langer's, um, you know, not that not that far gone. Um, Andrew McDonald did the Pakistan tour. He's now gone down with COVID, and we've yeah. got um, Michael Divanudo for um, these first couple of T Twenty games. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, Div's been around for a little while now. Um, built a pretty good relationship with him, so I think he's just going to slot in pretty easily. I know him and. Um, you know, Andrew McDonald are pretty close, so there's no doubt that he's going to take the same approach as what Ron would. So, yeah, there's there's no worries there. Um, everyone's really excited to get underway. Beautiful. Well, we're looking forward to uh, to seeing you in action back on the field uh, during the Sri Lanka T20s and, and who knows, maybe even um, some more games after that. Perfect, mate. Thank you. 